Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. And me, Jane Maguire. Today we're talking with photographer and filmmaker Emily May about the art of capturing running on the move. Hmm. Which we all know is famously easy, Rick, if you've ever seen a race photo <laughs> or anything like that. We all look great in those. Has anyone ever looked good in a race photo? Have you ever had one where you're like, that, I, they've nailed that. That's perfect. That's going on the wall. No. no. It doesn't happen, does it? Oh, they've caught me in the most fluid and wonderful moment of my running <laughs> gait. Oh, I look, so, I look so powerful and graceful. No. It's always that sort of slightly squashed squash down moment where you're kind of like just you know you've just landed and everything's kind of like yeah my my mum always gets me a marathon photo frames and I had to say to her (laughs) I don't I put these in the bin I literally burn them and then I keep the frame and put a new photo in you are wasting your money stop doing (laughs) it um, but there is we it go. the photographer's fault? This are we are we are we blaming the photographers 100%. here for what what might be <laughs> like sort like sorting out our our running form? No, or is it no? It's no photographers it's evil, so, um, evil, evil people with cameras. That's where <laughs> we should. always late on as well. Always like the last mile. Do it. Do it the first mile. Everyone looks good in the first mile, don't they? And do you know what's also annoying? And this has happened to me before. Is you're running and you're like. Oh, you know, this is this is hell on earth. And then you see a cameraman, and you're like, oh, for goodness sake! And then someone in front of you decides to like do a star jump and punches you in the face, and you're just like, all oh, right, I see. You're or you're like having to suddenly break to avoid a, an arm for a fun pose, and yeah. I must be in the back of some race photos, giving you know, make wishing people dead. So just. <laughs> No, just a big no from me. I can imagine. Yeah, that's true, actually. If it's got like mile, I know, 20 of, you know, a marathon and someone's trying to get like a snazzy race photo and causing mayhem. You both know I've got resting bitch face at the best of times, but put a... (laughs) Put a marathon or any race and a camera and other people in in the mix and it's not pretty. Oh, well, I'm glad that Emily's on now. She can really help us all find, find, I don't know, better creative processes or something whenever it comes to these things yeah she does she does offer some some practical advice doesn't she about like what the yeah what the every the every man or woman photographer can can get if you're not particularly um sort of skilled in this area which is definitely something i sympathize with i don't think i've ever taken a good photo there's been a lot of i often get my thumb in in a photo by accident oh, we're back to basics level. here with rick classic you're rick. quite good though ben. you're actually quite good at this stuff I I I don't know if I've I don't know if I've got good at it. I've got 
I've, t- I've taken enough of them to sort of, you know, out of, if you take enough, there's always one that you can kind of like polish <laughs> to, to look relatively yeah. decent. Um, but that's that's about it. I mean, it's all. I mean, Emily comes on as well because she's she's made a movie about running in its sort of most purest of forms. So, sort of the capturing as we talk about her capturing running, we've got the imagery that she's that she's t- the pictures she's taken over the years. But now this the, the Church of the Long Run Tracksmith movie, which um. I, everyone should go and watch because it's a you know it's it's a very different approach to the portrayal of running I would say yeah I mean it's basically there's nothing cut isn't there it's like ninety minutes of the six she says there's six cut it's basically some, filming someone on their long run and it's set to music and there's it's all very very long shots with maybe six cuts in between each one of them and uh, yeah. It's, it's it's it flies in the face of thirteen seconds on Instagram. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's so, exactly um, the opposite of like of most social yeah. media minded running content, isn't it? It's like yeah. long form in every sense. Um, exactly. Yeah, worth a look. Yeah, really good to to chat to Emily about the the how that came together and the sort of the ideas behind it. But um, talking of long runs, Rick. Oh yes, you've um. You've you've dug up some some stats for us on some race some races in the UK, haven't you? Which is uh, I have, yeah, I have. So um, New Balance have been on a noble quest to establish what is uh, Britain's toughest road marathon. Mm. Obviously, there's like there's like loads of hard trail marathons, aren't there? They kind of and they almost like sell themselves on um, elevation or how punishing it is. But I think road marathons probably tend to trade more on like speed um it's pb pb ability isn't it that's like exactly and you might get one that's like like scenery or something with these kind of coastal ones where you might say oh yeah but most of it's like it's pb so um new balance got a list an eight strong list of um marathons i think the the headline news is that there's one that's way harder than all the rest and it's uh (laughs) it's done on a percentage of dnfs so sort of percentage of people who start but don't finish um and in number one is a Langdale Marathon in the Lake District, 15% DNF. Um, to put that in perspective, number two, DNF is only 5.3%. So it's, it's very, very easily the hardest marathon in the UK. It's got an elevation gain of roughly the same as going up Snowdon. So that's probably why people drop out. Uh, it's, two, yeah. it's two laps of very hilly course. Um, but it's an interesting list, actually. I'll just give you the top five because this gives you a sense of like kind of the talking points about it but you've got Langdale Marathon which is really really hard and then you've got Southampton Marathon which isn't notoriously hard then you've got Abingdon Marathon which is actually notoriously quick then you've got Snowdonia yeah. Marathon which is hard and Milton Keynes which again is quick so it's quite f- the reasons people drop out are, it's not just because it's tough I think sometimes with something like Abingdon it's like I'm going only for a PB I'm not getting that PB yeah. oh god I might as well just drop out so it's yeah. quite yeah interesting yeah, that's it. You sort of um, when we were going over the list, you can see those ones where people use them very much as races to qualify for things or to get like yes. times in, in the bank. And if it's not going well, then they just immediately stop running because there's no point. Um, and then obviously the ones that are just hard. But as you were saying, like that one's got that Langdale's got as much elevation as Snowdonia, but Snowdonia is on that list, isn't it? Yeah. So the Snowdonia Marathon is on the list. Um, Langdale's got the equivalent of actually going up Snowdon, so Mount oh, Snowdon. But whereas right. um, Snowdonia Marathon is kind of in and around the lumpy got it. parts, oh but there's no, it's not. Um... Do you know what we can all conclude is that I'm not the only person. I'm not the only runner that hates hills. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Jane. From this. Well, would you even be at the start line, Jane? Hell That's the no. Question. <laughs> so... Absolutely never. There we go. I, I see. I fancy Langdale because you see some of the images oh. of it. It's worth any of listeners checking out. Just go and it's uh, it's hills you just do not see on road marathons. It's like oh my god, that's like um, it's like sort of you know twenty five percent um kind of gradient. God, there you go. Team trip could be a team trip. Hello. Team trip. 
Send me a postcard. I'll, um, <laughs> I'm there in spirit. There's, there's, some, there's some other stats here, actually, that are, that are probably worth having a quick mention. So research found that 65% of people who drop out um, any marathon do so after the halfway point. Um, and after yeah. that, the most significant marker for dropping out is um, is mile 23. I'm quite surprised, because I feel like if you drop out of a marathon, a lot of people would do it before halfway, because it might be through injury or whatever, where this looks more like people just yeah. perhaps haven't trained or you know it's further than they than they realize three months i mean yeah. you've basically got 5k to go yeah it's quite close I feel to finish like isn't that, it? that is a, a bleak part but that to me is always the part of the marathon where i just turn my brain off i can't remember i can't remember i've seen i think i've both i've probably seen you both around mile 23 yeah. and yeah, that's true actually I completely yeah. ignored you not recognized you have no idea who you are um, yeah, yeah that's true but maybe if you can't get into that like switch your brain off stage yeah maybe you just think why am i yeah, doing true. this it would be interesting how much of the dnf stuff falls into just like absolute collapse because that's yeah 23 is kind of where you see people like yeah like hobbling along yeah oh we saw a guy trip didn't we rick at the, at the marathon do you remember that oh, we God, were down yeah, yeah on really mat- late on yeah that's about mile 24 really late it? on and yeah. he's just one of those things where fatigue and tiredness came in and he, and he tripped and, and he well it looked like he hit his head because then he was oh. that was it so you kind of like it's serious isn't it yeah yeah, it was it wasn't wasn't a fun thing. So it was um you kind of get that factored in, don't you, to the to the whole doesn't finish thing. But yeah, yeah, that's true. 20. That's true. Just getting totally exhausted. It's got, there's a big difference in in men and women with this. Apparently, 16% of men that DNF do it with three miles uh, to go, whereas it's only 5.4% of women. So it's and again that might be a pace that might be a pacing issue because there is some evidence to suggest that women are better at pacing long distance races and blokes have gone off too quickly and then have hit some it sort imploded. of wall yes all that ego yeah <laughs> all that stupid ego bloody ego everywhere stupid ego man <laughs> <laughs> official official there's um, a sound bite for the podcast i'll go now <laughs> um well there you go everyone if you think that you've got a race that you think's harder that you've done road it's a road race and we know trail is difficult if you've got a road race that you think's more more uh, more, more challenging than the langdale well, let us know podcast at runnersworld.co.uk We'll get it in the mix. We'll, we'll try and we'll we'll see what the d- the data suggests. So give us give us some more to look at. It'd be interesting to know. I'm interested, Ben, because you've been training to something that is quite under the radar. I think easy is it the easy interval method? And could you expand, please, for the listener? Oh wait, I haven't got my book with me. Um, what are you training for? Well, I'm doing the landmarks half with you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Remember. <laughs> Remember that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. see you there. I'm very early stages in it. I was put onto it by my mate Andy, um, and it comes from uh, a training method from a book by uh, a Dutch uh, athlete called Klaus Luke. I think is how I, how you would say his name, uh, and it was translated by uh, a runner called Russ Mullen. And it's, the, I mean, the clues in the title. It's called the Easy Interval Method, and it breaks down running into a sort of set of different intervals from sort of 200 meters through to kilometer efforts um but it's all done sort of within the parameters of lactate and aerobic threshold so you're not like it's not like intervals where you'd go and do repeats and you're absolutely like battered that's not the that's not the premise this is all about sort of controlled effort it's really it, and it's it's been really interesting because you what's don't the, what's the book called it's called the easy interval method oh right okay right, right. uh and it's just actually had a it's it's just had a bit of a a reboot there's a few more pages now as a new issue that, that's just come out which is what russ has has just sent me um 
yeah, so I'm making my way through that, and I've done a few things now. It's yeah, it's going nice. It's going nicely. You don't feel so beaten up, but you can kind of like feel that there are improvements in your aerobic condition rather than just purely anaerobic. So you're kind of like building the aerobic system to be able to cope with effort more, so that you're not just in a in the anaerobic kind of like state for too long. It's 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 you know. It's a learning curve, Rick, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Mate, it's, it's really interesting. It's, yeah, like intervals finding their way into all your running. Yeah. It's quite an unusual approach. It's a little bit Zatapecky in that sense. And yeah. I think I'd be interesting to see what it does to your running because it's not something that a lot of people have probably tried, I think. Yeah. I, I, I'm, yet to, I'm yet to sort of like finish reading it completely and, and, uh, and work it all out. But the few things that I've applied so far have been good. Jamie, how about you? What's going on? Training... Uh, training a little bit again doing a doing a bit of stuff um but i found i think when i was tra- before before the old twisted ankle dog walking injury of 2022 <laughs> um i had a few issues with my hip i've got my my hip run like when i'm running when i'm running it's fine after i'm running it's not fine okay. and um with the the old twisted ankle obviously i didn't run a lot and when i did do gym very gentle running for the like you know since about October and now I've stepped it up again the hip's not happy so it's one of those Mm. should probably sort it out but I don't know it's just just that you know that like annoying kind of niggly yeah yeah mm, yeah. not enough to stop you running but like not enough but a bit like a bit annoying just a bit annoying a bit a bit there so um gonna go to the GP go to the old old old-fashioned route see what's wrong see what's happening um See what's going on. See what's going on. Well, look, there's, there's a good quote from uh, Scott Jurek, the, the great ultra runner, he, and he, he writes in his book, "Not all pain is significant," which is kind of, which I think is probably true. Actually, it's not. Um, if something's hurting, it's not necessarily a red light. Obviously, there's levels of this, isn't there? But that's all Scott Jurek. That's from the top. That's coming from the top. It's coming Scott from the Jurek. top, right? He knows what he's doing about. He I think the, the training plan I'm doing is quite. I've always been quite a eighty twenty runner and this is probably a bit a bit harder and a bit more okay. like going to the track to kill myself kind of vibe not easy and intervals may- then not, not, not easy, intervals, no, no. The, pretty much the opposite of ben's plan and um <laughs> i'm wondering whether that type of training doesn't suit my body and whether this is a sign that i'm an 80 20 runner and you know who cares about running faster stick in your lane kind of thing but we'll see we'll see how this pans out you gotta move you, you gotta move from your lane sometimes just to see what it's like and then if it's not for you you just yeah, move exactly. back again i think that's... if it's not for you pop, pop yeah. back who wants to be in lane one <laughs> rick you're, you're just fine aren't you mate i'm actually i am getting better actually i'm i'm being a bit better with the strength and conditioning work which definitely makes a big difference with any knee trouble i've had and i'm gonna do um this uh, a parlauf event on saturday which what is a sort of two per, a two person relay. Right. It's called. It's, I think it started in Germany. Um, uh, can't remember what it, it means. Something in German. Can't remember. Let's say two person relay. Yeah, good. Um, Direct translation. Just a DIY thing. There's like about ten of us just doing it around Crystal Palace Park on Sat on Saturday morning. It's going to be about th- maybe three miles or something. Um, in total. Um, some good runners actually. So the key will be not to finish last. That's what me and my mate George are trying to do. Don't finish last. Then go and have a um. A coffee afterwards, and uh, I'll let you know how I get on. I've never done a pile off before, but it should be quite fun, I think. Well, we invite all That's listeners the most to go. Thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a very rich <laughs> thing, and we invite all listeners who live in the South London area to go to Crystal Palace <laughs> Park or wherever it is that you're, and, uh, and cheer him on. I really, really wish you were doing like parkour or something instead. That's where my brain Rick went. Gonna, you just like Rick, Rick and Georgia running up walls and backflipping. <laughs> 
no yeah very different very different and and yeah a little bit a little bit safer and uh yeah we'll see how it goes but no nice yeah trying trying to add some more quick running in yeah looking forward to doing the half marathon uh in april with you guys and uh yeah all right feeling optimistic gonna do the spine race sooner or later we all are comes to us all no thanks yeah stay in your lane rick stay <laughs> in your lane <laughs> hey look should we go on our guest of the week then yeah let's do it Emily, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself and how you first got into running and photography and those sorts of things? Absolutely. Um, my name is Emily May, and I am a photographer, director. I live in California. Um, I also have a place in Brooklyn, and I split my time between the two, um, sort of do the uh, the summer in Santa Barbara and the winter in New York, which is often the opposite of what people would imagine would be my desire. <laughs> I actually really love the winter in New York. Um, and uh, I am the photographer for Tracksmith and have been since the day that the brand started. So it's about eight and a half years now that I've been working with them and directing a lot of the films as well. Um, and that was my first, um, my first running photography that I did was for Tracksmith. Um, just before the the brand had started, I shot um, something for their magazine piece for Meter um, that was the Ivy League uh, Indoor Track Championships in Hanover, New Hampshire. And that was my first time shooting running and I had come from shooting cycling a lot at that time. And so it was a very different experience and that's what brought me to running. What, is, what are some of the unique challenges of trying to shoot running as opposed to, to cycling? Is it what kind of um yeah things you have to kind of conquer as a photographer do you think yeah they're very different i think that um cycling obviously you move through so much space and obviously at a quicker speed and i remember one of the first shoots that we did for tracksmith um very inspired by the curve of the road or something that you know you see and, and there's a little bit of a crossover between cycling and running in terms of the way that you're out in space and so i remember us going up the road like a little bit too far to be like, oh, this is this is beautiful. Like we'll shoot here. This is a nice spot. And then be like, oh, they won't be here for quite a while. As opposed to cycling, you have to really rush ahead and and make sure that you know you get a pretty good distance because they really come very fast. And um, my work with cycling was with the pro teams for um, Tour de France, and I spent uh, about five, four or five seasons with um truck factory racing team through their entire calendar and and all their races and training and stuff so dealing with very very quick riders yeah, right. and so you've got to get a lot of distance before they come around and so running's a little bit different in that sense but i would say that um the fact that you have a machine in cycling that you have something to interact with certainly changes the way that your body language is the way that you uh hold the handlebars or that you're climbing or out of the saddle or something there might be something different dynamic that changes in the body depending on the terrain and running is a little bit more straightforward although much harder to shoot because you on the bike kind of if a rider has one foot up uh, and one foot down you're pretty good as long as a lot of the other uh elements are, are in play but with running there's just a lot more to capturing the form that 
um, is a bit trickier in, in terms of foot strike and you know, all those things and um, making sure that, that it looks nice. It's a bit harder. I mean, I don't think anyone has ever got that email saying, here are your race photos, please take a look. And they've, they've clicked that link and gone, they've really captured the dynamic effort that I was putting into that final, you know, race photos tend to look pretty flat and kind of you're like, they catch you at the wrong moment and you look kind of squashed and all this sort of stuff. And the way that, you know, everyone documents their running these days with photos and videos and things like that. How, how do you go about sort of looking, uh, I mean, beyond the aesthetic with Tracksmith say, but just as capturing running and it's sort of like the movement of it. Are you looking for an, uh, athletes who are just very, very good at running or is it more than that? Is it more like the dynamic that they bring to the, the image or the sort of effort that they're putting in? How does it, what makes a good image? Yeah, I definitely like to say that I shoot the person doing the sport, not the sport itself. Like to me, there's a personality and there's a sense of something that is extra on top of just what's going on in the moment with the body. And so that's like what makes the image a little bit more compelling, I think, too, is what is that um, person's energy like, I guess, you know, and, and I came from ballet. I was a very serious ballet dancer when I was young and my mom was a professional ballet dancer. And that's what I very much wanted to do with my life. And I think that that history of ballet and, and being a part of it and photographing it and the whole world of, um, watching other dancers and all that, you start to learn body language without sound in a way that is really linked to storytelling and in terms of the photos that I take. And so I think there's something in that, that allows me to know when it's the right photo too. And, you know, in that selection process, just having a sense of how body language is communicated through images is really important to me. And I think you can see that in, in the way that I photograph runners, that there's something about the grace or um, uh, just a moment that feels like it's the right moment. And sometimes that is like a heavy effort moment. And it is something where it's not all light and two feet floating off the ground. And, you know, it's like a nice connection to the ground that actually gives you a sense of effort in a different way. It's just about body language. It's not about always being, um, uh, I guess aspirational a sense of like, oh, this is this is so easy. Sometimes showing how hard it is is way more aspirational than making it look easy. And I think that's something I would definitely bring to to what, what I do at Tracksmith. How important do you think um, top of the range kit is when it comes to capturing a great photo? Or can most people or can can you achieve great things on just a standard smartphone? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, I thought you meant like a uh, running kit, like how... <laughs> apparel. I thought you meant apparel too, Rick. I thought you <laughs> said like, yeah, <laughs> that helps probably. <laughs> I think that's as a side digression. I think um, the actual, you know, clothing, the actual aesthetic of uh, of the clothing from having come from shooting for Rafa previously and and shooting for Tracksmith, um, that always does make a difference when you sort of see uh, see a photo of somebody that it's just everything's mismatched and, you know, and sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. very, uh, very bad fit. You're like, Oh, like, I think the photo is probably fine. It's just, uh, just into like a neutral, a neutral space or something here. Um, uh, in terms of camera kit, I'm not, I'm not a big gear person and I change cameras all the time. It's kind of one of the running jokes too, about, I, I shot on Canon for a really long time and I, I switched to Nikon. Um, I sort of found that people wanted, you know, larger people. There was a lot of times where agencies would get the, could you shoot on medium format was like a buzzword for a really long time. That was um, something that they would ask you. And then, you know, it's going on Instagram anyways. And so it was a funny switch that sort of happened where everybody shot on the larger um, megapixel cameras. Um, and so I switched in that. And then I decided on a whim to try the Sonys out during the pandemic. And um, I left my apartment in New York to come to California to work with the NBA team, the Clippers. And I was like, I'm gonna bring this Sony camera that I have and um, try it out because I haven't really tried it out and we were going to do the speed project um for the second time with Tracksmith and it seemed like that was that was easy to shoot on that gear and uh then you know lockdown happened and I was stuck with Sony cameras for two years something in California and had to shoot everything on those and um I recently just switched over to Fuji and I just like I don't know I just play around with it and and um I shot with the Leica that has no screen for a while I shot the um the Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, Oxford uh, track me on that. And you can't even format the card without tethering it to your phone. It just doesn't even have a format button. It was completely impractical, a manual focus. <laughs> like I brought that to that track meet. And um, sometimes I like to put a little bit of a, an impediment with the tool sometimes just to, it makes you rise to the occasion a little bit. And, Trying to like, I don't know, see it differently. You know, you're always trying to like trigger your brain to to see images and to be involved in the process. And so sometimes switching up the kit is like a fun way to do that or take a different camera. Yeah, I think so. I think that everyone's everyone's sort of now armed with the ability to take a picture with smartphones and and things like that. But um, certainly doesn't mean that you're going to get something good. And I think that that's kind of where the sort of the skill set comes in in terms, of, especially with running as we say like it's such a sort of nuanced art of like making sure that people look fluid yet powerful yet all the sort of elements that make a good picture how how just with the smartphone and everyone sort of documenting these things with social media what would what would you be your top tips what would you say to someone who was just like is it the lighting is it the is it the position when you're sort of like framing up a shot of someone what's what's the sort of like the, the tick list I mean, lighting's everything, right? I think like lighting is so key. Um, lighting is really nice. I, I was, you know, I've worked for a lot of different brands and sometimes you get these um, 
lists that are generated by marketing companies where they've gone to people and sort of asked, polled like what is successful um, photographically. And so you you get this feedback from those and, and data can be interpreted a lot of different ways. And so remember getting a in and out um, list where it was like, these things are in and these things are out. And, you know, anything that was like positive was in and anything that was like suffering and, and negative was like out. And it was, it was a it had drawn these like really clear lines on like what was in and what was out. And I remember saying to to the art director, I, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I will point out that there's great light in all of these in photos and terrible light in all of these out photos. And giving people no context for this answer, but it might just be that people like nice light and people don't like bad light. So it was kind of a funny, funny way to think about it. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's nice that photography um, it's easy to hate on on Instagram as a photographer and say, you know, sort of everyone thinks that they can do it. And I think that that it actually makes people really appreciate photography more and they see so much of it and they're able to see such a variety of it that people start to really curate what they like. They know the difference between, you know, their dad's photos, um, <laughs> like their family or something that they like from an emotional standpoint of like, you know, person I know and like I like the content of this and I like seeing my friends kids and I like I like those kids or you know it's just like something that you then know how to differentiate between what makes a photo that moves you because of its photographic quality versus uh, the content in it and so I think people actually are really savvy to like what looks good and what doesn't I shoot so much on my iPhone to be honest I'm always pulling it out I wish I shot more on a real camera in my own life when I was documenting things it is just that always in your pocket and you're just compelled to take a picture so um you know i i certainly do that quite a bit talking about instagram and, and the sort of impact that social media has played in documenting uh, the way that things move forward if you sort of go back to the significance of pictures in key moments within running you've got like roger bannister's sub four and like the iconic imagery that comes with that and just sort of jesse owens at the, at the olympics and you know, those images are, are all sort of there in the running history. Do you think that the the impact that imagery has now, because everyone looks at it all day long, has does it diminish the significant moments? Or do you think that actually it's just part of the evolution of how things are captured and it does more for the sport because it's out there way more? That's a great question. I think I'm sure it does more for the sport because of being out there in terms of um, eyeballs on the sport. But there's something so beautiful about those photos that are iconic photos from um, that were hard to make. You know, I think about that a lot with cycling when when I was shooting cycling, there were so many photographers shooting all the time. And, you know, everybody releases their gallery each day. That is their perspective on that race day. And you just know how hard it was to make photos 20 years before that, where you were responsible for the news photograph. I love talking to Getty photographers and news agency photographers when I'm around them. I, I've shot a couple of basketball games for the NBA and been, you know, courtside and I try to talk to those guys. And um, I say guys, cause they're, they're often, often men. Um, but I think that it's nice to talk to them. Like, I feel like sometimes people hate on, on that, 
part of things, but the news photograph as like a record of events is a really stressful job that requires you to be in the right place at the right time and get the shot. And I think the Olympics becomes a, a time where we see that prioritized more with, with photography, where someone gets a shot. You think of that shot of Usain Bolt, like looking to his right. Well, there's Usain Bolt with a lightning bolt hitting the stadium. Oh God, that was amazing. And, he's, yeah. and you're yeah. like, come on, that's incredible. That yeah, and I think that, you know, the the other thing that I think about with that a lot lately is some of these documentaries that have come out that um, The Last Dance, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, um, some of the music documentaries that have come out, the Aretha Franklin one, because they, they couldn't originally sync the sound, they didn't slate it properly, and so they weren't able to release it because the sound wasn't synced from my understanding, and so technology can now auto-do that. And so they were able to release that film, you know, and you hadn't seen that moment um, when she's recording the the gospel album in the church, and it's such beautiful footage to see now, and when, certainly when you're watching The Last Dance, you just think like, will this ever exist? The Beatles doc too, which I'm super, super obsessed with. I've watched so many times. Um, will people ever have this experience in the future with anything that's happening right now? Nobody's really filming things like that just for the sake of it. Nobody's really like filming as far as, as far as I know, there's just like a designated output for everything that's being filmed. So if LeBron is having his 20th year and, you know, the the documentary crew, it's either signed off or it's not. And it's managed through like a media team, I would imagine, that decides, you know, what can be seen and what can't. So will we have that anymore? Like are people shooting those moments that are unfolding that will be history in the future? And uh, I think that's really sad to think that maybe we, we wouldn't have those experiences because I've really, really treasured that as a observer <laughs> what's come out recently, some archive footage. I think historically, Ronnie's probably not been looked at as something that's kind of fashionable in terms of in, in terms of aesthetic. Whereas I think actually cycling's always had a fashion to it. Um, but do you think that running is catching up in some ways with, with brands like Tracksmith and other brands who are actually making really good-looking, fashionable running kit? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know cycling has a costume culture to it. That's a big part of it. Um, but there was a point where cycling was not. Uh, I guess historically was very fashionable. If you look at the photos in the 60s and stuff, I mean, that's just so good. Um, but there was a point in sort of the you know, 90s, early 2000s, pre-Rafa, where all you could get was replica kit and go out and look like, you know, <laughs> riding. Rick, the modern era is, the modern era is, sits in stark contrast to some of the kit that was made in the 80s and stuff like that. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah, so there's evolution there that happened too, you know, I think, and I do think that that's, certainly you know very obviously happening and running and and has happened and um and tracksmith was a big part of that started and um i think everybody wants to look good when they go out and run right i think i think it helps it seems like it helps you know um there's the science behind it if you look good you're gonna run better that's you know there's that's a real thing but i think it's, it's, it's interesting what rick says about you know brands and and looking good and, and certainly the impact that that has but where does it start from? Do you take like the like, the impact that say like Nike had on the like the aesthetic of running in say like the seventies, and like you see the imagery that like there was a certain look Prefontaine, kind of like that aspirational brand dictating kind of the direction it was going. Similarly, 
Tracksmith has a very specific aesthetic to it and that dictates sort of like a look. Um, there are brands like Saw in the UK, which is very sort of like, you know, has a certain aesthetic. Again, it's quite sort of racy. Yeah, there's more technical brands that want to be like, you know, really high tech or yeah, yeah, realistic, yeah. you know, and obviously that's going to, I think the imagery is going to fall along the lines of the brand ethos. You know, if you're shooting for a really techie brand in any space, you know, it probably will be shot in a way that, um, that is a more fashion sort of editorial approach, you know? Um, and I think that, you know, I think that with Tracksmith, there's um, beyond just the clothes, but in terms of the way that we approach imagery, there's been a, a conversation and a sense of, of storytelling from the beginning from authenticity in a way that um, really is how the stories are, are told, that there's not a sense of, um, writing out the shot list ahead of time and and making sure you you get that feeling and like okay we nailed it it really does come from within i mean like what is the reflection of of how the brand sees running and and what they want to say about it what they want to show about it and so it comes from that place where um it's it's dictated from within within the storytelling of the brand that then the photos come out of that you know from a really good place because i think that some people would want to strive to have their aesthetic lead in a way that they want everyone to look a certain way because that kind of like how they want to define running. But I think that if the image comes from a purpose of just storytelling, it's a very different approach to sort of putting, putting a brand out there. Yeah. And the clothes are very cohesive across the board, right. In terms of it's not seasonally changing in a way that you're like, Whoa, you can't put, you know, this imagery next to this imagery. Like we're doing different things i mean there's a, a sense of you know a continuation of the story that is happening within the clothes as well and so um i think that even just alongside each other you know when we shoot a collection it's very easy to mix and match the colors all have been thought really consideredly you know the creative director um is very very keen to to make sure that it all looks really nice together and that it looks nice in nature you know i think that's a, a big part of the imagery that i'm always struck by is how um, the clothes look, you know, on a, on a lay down at, at first when you're mocking them up, but they're outside in the world. And when you shoot the images they're outside in the world, and it's just a really nice harmony in those color palettes with, um, where we are in nature and, and different textures of nature. And so that makes my job very easy to make beautiful images when there's a nice cohesion between, you know, the locations that they choose are really beautiful. And, and, um, yeah, I can just come in there and make it look good. Can we talk about filming running as well? Because we know you've got a, a film out, the, the Church of the Long Run. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about um, and give us a, a brief summary about what, what, what it's all about, really? Yeah, Church of the Long Run is a 84-minute film that we've just made that is um, runner Sam Recker going for a run on a very snowy, mountainous road in Colorado. And this is a project that we wanted to do for a really, really long time. It's something we've talked about and uh, worked a lot in the film space with Tracksmith and continually trying to push what we're doing and how ambitious it is. And so this is definitely our most ambitious project yet. And uh, you starts with an empty road and, and that's something where we've recently been running some some images of empty roads with some quotes from runners about their long runs on Sundays and just trying to create that sense of um, the road itself is a beautiful image and a, a place it's desirable to go get out there and run. And so it opens on a on an empty road and pans to find Sam walking to start her run and continues with her for the entire run until she comes back. And so it's in real time. And there's about six 
cuts in it. So really, really long continuous takes. It minimally interferes with her run as a viewer and you're able to be a fly on the wall. And I think that's something that is really unique to get the opportunity to do. And um, I know it can sound like who would watch that? Who's going to watch 84 minutes of somebody running? Um, but it's been really, really beautiful to see some of the comments from people that have watched it all the way through. It's got a beautiful score to it. And it's an experience, you know, I think as you settle in and watch it, your eye moves around on the road and you see different scenery and you notice different things. And it's something that really you can only experience by giving the time to it in the same way that when she goes out and runs, it's, it's, you can't really make a highlight reel of it. You know, she has to put in the time and experience different emotions and different things as she's going. And so I think the viewer, I'm seeing that people are responding that way that they're, they're getting that if they put in the time and, and do that. And it, you know, in the current TikTok landscape, I would say it's the complete opposite of uh, what's going on currently. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of where it sits sits in that landscape. Uh, I've got so much to ask about it. But the, one of the first things was it sits in stark contrast to what you might see on YouTube, particularly, but also the sort of the immediate like 15 seconds of input in, and then you're out again. Like there's the attention span is very much based on real time and you've got all of that. And even on storytelling videos on YouTube, very much follow a very uh, certain aesthetic which are quite loud it's quite in your face it's quite it's lots of cuts there's lots of sort of edits da, 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 da. so it, it's kind of interesting that that would be to do the exact opposite to go against what the trends are and it to be and to, for it to work because you know this, this, this me being a skeptic when i first saw it and i was just a bit like wait it's just a it's just 84 minutes of someone running i love that i'm glad you're skeptical i'm glad <laughs> but yeah but i mean but you know i've watched it and as you say, and it's it's um, it's it's all the elements that you have when you run personally. It's hypnotic. You the score is phenomenal. Like I just think that that carries. Uh, it just you know you could, um, that really sort of transports you a little bit to where to to being on the run with Sam and makes it sort of feel it ebbs and flows so nicely with perhaps the way that. The landscape is or the way that the emotions are with the the runner and, and kind of like you can almost sympathize with what they're feeling when you're watching it or empathize whichever one whichever's correct and you can you know you kind of you go through the motions of what she's going through and it suddenly you go oh, actually you can relate immediately to what's happening but it's quite interesting to watch it happen in front of you and i think that that's kind of what from my from watching it and that was the biggest takeaway was just actually like this is, is the exact opposite of what I thought it would be. And it really kind of sucks you in, I think, in a way. I've seen it um, all the way through, you know, I had to, but I've also enjoyed watching it all the way through several times, um, you know, probably seven or eight times all the way through. And and it does unfold in a way that is really, is really beautiful. Like it, it draws you in. You want to keep watching it. You're like, I... I know what happens here, you know, I think you think you know what happens and you're, you're sort of like, why am I so interested in this? But I was really pleased when I, um, you know, it was, it was easy to put together kind of quickly right after we shot it because it was such long takes and, um, and comes from the, you know, from the same road and the same run. And, um, but it was, it was really powerful when I first watched it. I was, I was excited that it, that it worked, you know, and, and once I got some music on it, I was like, oh, this is actually, this is, you know, exciting. I just went through the usual thought process of like, is she all right on the snow? That looks like she's going to slip. But you would have that 
waiting when you're running too, right? You would sort of like, yeah, but you would. That's what I mean. It wasn't. It wasn't sort of like I wasn't waiting for a blooper. I was just like, this is my thought process that I would have on the run. Like, is the conditions good? And then at the end, she took her glove off, and I was like, I would have taken my gloves off a bit before. I think my hands would have got hot running. She was, you know, and it was quite strange to sort of like run without running it really like but um yeah i mean I, th- I thought i think it's great and i really enjoyed watching it so for me when we were when we were filming it it's like felt like one of the most tracksmith things we've ever done in my mind it's like this is completely um what i see when i'm on shoots and you know go out and 14 miles and that's what i'm photographing and um you know we we don't really interfere with them other than uh, we'll pull over the car or you know if, if they need to stop for some water or something of course you can do that you know but it's it is really based in an approach that um i've gotten to see so many runs in their entirety and wanted to be able to show people that you know i think it is something where in other sports i love when you get to see kind of behind the scenes footage you know or any anything making a movie i love the behind the scenes footage i go to rehearsals at new york city ballet to um you know i enjoy that sometimes more than the performance like it's fun to see people that are really dedicated to something in a moment of quiet doing that not necessarily their performance moment we see a lot of performance on a stage in a sense that okay this is their race it's it's all on the line but I think there's something really beautiful about watching her go for a run. Um, obviously, Sam's dedicated her you know, life to it, and she is very, um, very much at a, a, a level of running that she's not just beginning. And, you know, it's different stages of injury in her career at different times and all of that. And um, I think that that's really cool to watch something that's kind of casual in that way. That's just about being being out there and going for that run and the consistency of that at whatever place she was at on that day to do it. Do you have a um that was in Colorado, wasn't it? Do you have a, a favorite place to shoot? Is the, is you know, when you're traveling the world, is there a place like well obviously with cycling the mountains is probably where you would have got some of the best it, you've probably taken some of your favorite images perhaps, but is there a favorite place to shoot? Um I think just there's certain roads we that it's really about for me for shooting running, it's about the person in the road and like the story of what's going on and and um I wouldn't say I think I can find interest in any place. Colorado is amazing. That road was amazing. Um, it definitely changes. The scenery changes a lot on that road. And so it made a great spot for the film. I'm really happy with that. And um, yeah, sometimes when you're in like Arizona and it has that amazing light, that uh, amazing sunrises and things like that, that helps. I'm not the waking up early is not my favorite thing about the job that I do, <laughs> especially in the summer when we have to shoot sunrise and it's, you know, 4am or something. Uh, it's something I, I have to live with being a photographer because you've got to have the light, but um, you know, it makes it worth it when you get like a, a nice Arizona sunrise or something and not a cloudy, cloudy morning and you woke up for nothing. What's the sort of next thing you want to sink your teeth into there, Emily? You got, you got, is it sort of, so not not necessarily with the brand, but kind of just as a photographer. What are you thinking? Like, what have you got a, a subject matter that you want to look at? Is it is there anything coming? My focus has been on directing for the past few years, and sort of Tracksmith has been the place where I'm shooting the most photography, and I'm pretty selective about the other photography jobs that I take, just as I'm focusing on directing a lot more and, and directing commercials and stuff, and um, hopefully moving into feature film someday. That would always be the goal, and, and has been the goal. 
Um, so uh, that's my main focus right now, but I do have a, a personal project that I want to do in photography this year, trying to make sure I make time for that. I think that's something that is hard to keep making time for at a certain point. You end up um, shooting a lot of commercial work and just, you know, it's easy to not make yourself go do a, a project on your own that, um, that you've wanted to do. And so I want to make time for that this year, for sure. It's been a while since I've done personal projects. So um, I've got a couple of those lined up for middle of the year and end of the year and um, a lot of film projects as well that just trying to see if I can get off the ground. And that's definitely the the space that brings me the most inspiration right now. And, and you know, all in sports and continuing to work in sports. My entire career has been in sports storytelling. So I'm very happy in that space and think there's a lot more stories to keep telling for sure. Emily, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast and, and chatting through the creative process and, and making films and the future of running and how we're going to capture it and make it look great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So that brings to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. A huge thanks to our guest, Emily May, and to you, of course, for listening. Uh, subscribe to Runners World magazine. Gets 12 issues of the world's best running content delivered to your front door every month. Go on the internet and search Runners World UK subscription and you'll find it. There's some deal as well. You can get three issues for £5. But yeah, you know what? Just commit. Commit, guys. It's time to commit. Um, and uh, you should do that. And if you don't want to commit, that's also fine. Just keep listening to the Runners World UK podcast on Acast, iTunes, all your favourite podcast apps. Search Runners World UK and do commit to subscribe because that will make us happy. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 